All right, everybody, welcome into a brand new style of show here on the deep dive. We're going to do the Torah in just 30 seconds. Let's get this started. Good evening, everybody. Welcome Tuesday night, 7.30, in the home studio for The Deep Dive, Season 7. We are going through the Torah, Part 1, and I want to talk to you about why you need the Torah. My name is Tim. Click that like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. Get notified when we go live. You will enjoy this content, and the best part is this show, this season, is going to be different than any other season that we have done uh, deep dive or deep end stuff with. The reason why is because we're going to be going through some complicated material, and I'm going to want to talk to you about it. I'm going to want to talk to you about um, your questions concerning the content, some of the crazy laws in the Old Testament. How do we handle them? What do we do with uh, laws about rape that don't seem very civil, according to our 21st century sensibilities? What do we do with the laws about tattoos or different threads of garments, that kind of content we want to have a discussion about. So on a regular basis, make sure that you're doing doing your best to keep up with the content because I'm going to do some live chat nights. I'm here in my home studio, and that gives me a lot of capacity to connect with you personally because I can do this in the comfort of my own home. You're probably at home too. And so I'm glad to start this journey with you guys, and I'm looking forward to the future of this channel and this, uh, this content, this Bible study uh, night, Wednesday night, 7.30, The Deep Dive on Tim Hatch Live. So, like I said, part one, Torah. Why do you need the Torah? The reason why you need the Torah is because there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of nominal Christians, there's a lot of non-Christians who have this view that there's two different gods in the Bible, right? There's the Old Testament God, he's holy, he's distant, he's wrathful, he's very specific in his uh, you know, laws and stipulations. Then there's the judgmental God, the angry with sinners God, the God who, you know, he's going to really strike you dead quickly if you get in his way. And then there's the New Testament God, or some people make this assumption that after Malachi, God just was like, well, I guess anger didn't work. Let's try being nice. And so you have the New Testament God, graceful, merciful, kind, loving, good, generous, friend of sinners. Jesus ate and drank with sinners and a lot of people. That's what they love most about him. Well, can I tell you that that's not true? There is one God, and the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And that is so important for us to uh, start off with in this, in this chapter of the deep dive. Let's lay that foundation first. We are not talking about a different kind of God, a different God, a different season in which God was like really angry and then he softened up a bit. Like, you know, like parents, when you're a father, you're really angry and tough on your kids. But then when you have grandkids, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever, let them have chocolate at 11 p.m. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. That is not... Uh, how scripture speaks to God. And this is absolutely essential. In Malachi chapter four, God says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Or old King James, I am the Lord, I change not. So there is no dichotomy of gods. By the way, those who believe that it's not a new idea, that's an ancient heresy from the early church. Uh, Marcion was one of them who believed that there was an Old Testament God and there was a New Testament God. And so I think he even caved the New Testament God's name Jesus, obviously, and then the Old Testament God, Jehovah, so they're different names uh, according to the Marcion heresy. So that is important to understand. And why does that matter for our study on Torah? I'm going to tell you why that matters on our study on Torah is because when we study Torah, listen to this very carefully, we are getting to know that God. We are getting to know the God. We are getting to know Jesus as we study Torah. 
That's the first thing you got to know about this content is this is going to help you understand Jesus, right? You want to know Jesus. You want to get closer to Jesus. I want to get closer to Jesus. And the more we study the Torah, the law, right? We get to know Jesus. And this is um, so important for our understanding of the Bible, because I want to do something else here, and I'm going to give you a little tour here of the home studio setup. So, of course, we have this shot. We have something new this season on the deep dive. It's called Sinai time, and here I am in the Sinai desert, and there you see over here on your left, right, the uh, Sinai smoking mountain. Isn't that fun? <laughs> but we also have this. This is the Lagos Bible split screen and also with the Sinai mountains below. Let me know in the comments what you think about the new setup. Anyway, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, you, John chapter five, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they, what? What's the they? The scriptures, the Torah that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So right there, Jesus is making it clear. The scriptures, including Torah, testify to who I am. So do you want to know Jesus? Get to know the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. I can give you another passage of scripture. We can go to Matthew 5, 17. Right after the uh, Beatitudes and the salt of the earth and light of the world content, the very next phrase in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You say, I thought it was just the prophets just kind of informing God's people that Jesus would come. No, it was the law and the prophets. The prophets and the law both point to Jesus. By the way, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with um, Peter, James, and John, who shows up? You have Moses, who represents the law, the Torah, and you have Elijah. And, and they're talking, and the scripture is very clear about this. They begin to talk about his exodus. I think it's in Matthew chapter 18. Don't quote me. And so it's kind of interesting how you have three Old Testament concepts mer merging on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus revealed in his glory. He is joined by Moses, he is joined by Elijah, and they are talking about the Exodus, which is a reference to the deliverance of the Israelites from the land of Egypt. The Bible is one whole piece. One single author, the Holy Spirit, inspired 40 different human authors over 1,500 years to teach us about God. And we learn about God through Torah. Now, we've got to get moving, and I want to discuss this question. What is Torah? What is, what is Torah? Let me move on. Torah, from the Hebrew word meaning uh, to guide or to teach, is really just that. It is teaching. It is God's guidance in our lives. Exodus chapter 35, 34, I have this verse here. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. Uh, that's the word Torah there, teach. Uh, Leviticus 10, verse 11. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So Torah, you have to understand, is teaching. It's guidance. I always like to talk about this idea. Raise your hand if you like to swim, because I like to swim. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a public school, a public pool. <laughs> At a public pool, you will see two things, usually. You will see a sign called pool rules. And the rules are do not run, you know, do not skip, do not chew gum, do not dive, do not blah, blah, blah. No roughhousing, all that stuff. Those are rules. Now, usually at a public pool, you will also see pool instructors, teachers, swim teachers. I had a swim teacher growing up. I, I will never forget it. I, I grew up in a very small town. I went to a public pond. We didn't have public pools, but we went to a public pond. And I was taught how to swim with a public pond uh, swim instructor. So Torah is not the sign on the wall saying, do not run, do not roughhouse, do not dive, do not, do not, do not, do not. That's not Torah. Torah is the swim instructor getting into the water with you and helping you swim. That's how you have to see Torah. It is God's guidance to you. It is God's um, instruction for how to live well how to live well with him and with his people. 
And those three concepts are going to come into play repeatedly as we discuss the 613 laws of Torah. Let's go on and let's discuss a couple of verses. Well, let me look at one verse with you that is a descriptive verse of Torah. Uh, Proverbs 3.18 says, the Torah is the tree of life to those who embrace it. Notice the qualifier there. It's not just the tree of life to people who hear it. It's the tree of life to those who embrace it. That is what Torah does. It brings you life. Where do you find the tree of life in the Bible first? You find it in Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is sitting there in the Garden of Eden. Well, what happens? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they die spiritually, and then eventually we all die physically. Jesus comes, he's the new Adam, according to Romans, and he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And remember, the Torah is what? It is a tree of life. Well, Jesus dies for our sins to bring us back to God, bring us back to that paradise with God. And where does he die? Not at a gas chamber, not in an electric chair, not in a lethal injection. He dies on a cross. He dies, Galatians chapter 3 says, on a tree. Isn't that interesting? So right there in Proverbs 3.18, we have a, pro- a prophecy about Jesus. The Torah, which we've already discussed, is pointing to Jesus, is a tree of life. Jesus, who will die in a tree to bring us life for those who embrace it. This is why we must embrace Jesus, because he is the fulfillment of the law and the tree of life if we do. It, this is... This is why I love studying the Bible, because so many things and images and metaphors that the Bible uses and physical historical events the Bible uses tie together to bring us to God. Now, when we talk about Torah, I want three definitions to be in your head, because these are the three technical definitions of Torah. The first five books of Moses, that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Number two is the law, all the uh, scriptural teaching of Moses to the people of Israel, and then Some people say the Torah is the teaching, although there's another word for teaching. It's called halakha. Uh, That would be the way of teaching in the the Jewish sense of the word. And so there's many ways that people can refer to Torah. Sorry, I just lost the keynote. There we go. But those are the three ways predominantly that we speak of when we, the the three things that we speak of when we speak of Torah. So it's important that we have our concepts down. And now let's move on to the big question, the big why. Why do you need this study? Notice I did not say, why do you want the study? Because I don't care what you want. I care what you need. And what you need is God's law. I got three reasons why you need to study Torah. And I can attest to this for myself personally. I have gleaned tremendous benefit in my own personal life, getting to know my father, God, through his law to ancient Israel. You learn about him. And it's kind of confusing sometimes, right? That's that's what we have to understand is that because he is God, he is not simple. A simple God is a God of your own making. A simple God is a God that you can define, and we cannot define this God. We cannot wrap him around our containment of understanding. We must surrender our understanding to who he is, who he has chosen to reveal himself to be, and most importantly, how he has chosen to reveal himself uh, to us, okay? So three things about why you need this study. Number one, because the Bible can be confusing and, and people will use the confusion of the Bible to deny the Bible. Number two, because the Bible critics use that or the Bible, uh, because Bible critics use the confusion of the Bible, I just said this, to accuse us, okay? And forgive the fact that it says us, it's, it should be critics use that to accuse us. Uh, number three, and this is probably the most important because God wants you to know the answers to the questions. He he wants you to know why those laws are there and how they were referring to ancient Israel and then how do we apply them to ourselves today. Okay, let's start about, and one final thought about this, because God wants you to know and relate to him. This is why you need to study Torah. Again, I've, I've said this already, but I'll, I'll repeat it again. 
the Torah shows us who God is. Second uh, Timothy uh, 3.16, all scripture, not some, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, sorry, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is why you need this study because the laws of ancient Israel are indeed breathed out by God and they are profitable for us to teach us, to train us, to correct us, and to rebuke us. So that's the why you need this study. Uh, let me dive into another concept that is more maybe relational to where we are as a people. And that question is, why are we studying Torah? Because there are so many ways we can study the Bible. We can study the Bible verse by verse. We can study the Bible uh, character studies. We can, and I've done that. And we can study the Bible concept by concept, topical Bible studies. Um, maybe your preacher, wherever, whatever church that you go to, he's a more you know, topical guy where he's talking about topics and then lifting passages of scripture that refer to that topic. Maybe you've got a, a real diehard exegetical guy, uh, you know, fundamentalist kind of guy who wants to go verse by verse through the Bible and, and believe believes that topical studies are unbiblical. Okay, I, I want to just um, absolve you of that concept. I believe in both exegetical and topical teaching or concept teaching or even character study teaching. The reason why is because if you read how Jesus preached, he was a very topical preacher. Even, even Paul, when he is unpacking the Old Testament, it is topically based. There is no exegetical teaching recorded in the Bible, except you could say Ezra. Ezra went through the law and made it known to the people, Ezra chapter 10. So yes, there is that, but the New Testament scholars re recorded in the New Testament narrative are topical guys. But I bring that up because we have to study Torah as a concept. This is a concept. It's not a topical study. This is a concept study. It's not a character study. It's not an exegetical study. We will be going through verses, make no mistake, but we will be, we will be studying the concepts of Torah. And the concept of Torah is God's law. And so I'm really excited to show you this, this um, dichotomy. Let's talk about this. This is so important. There are two laws that every American is dealing with, wrestling with. And this is a lot of our conflict in life. There is the American law, and then there is God's law. The American law and God's law are not the same. Now, some of you will say, but I thought that America's laws were based on the Bible. They were, but there was an added ingredient given to the American law from, through, uh, from the Bible that eventually led to the modern laws that we have today and our concepts about laws. So let me show you the differences between American law and God's law right off the bat. First is this idea. American law deals with my rights, okay? American law deals with my, uh, my privileges, what I want you know, my country to do. So it's written right here and I have it on my desk, my handy dandy, a copy of the American Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, okay? What is on the first page of the uh, Declaration of Independence? I believe it is the Declaration of Independence. We are, we believe that all men have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the Declaration's intent. That is what our country set, it out, set out to do. And we believe that is imperative for all people. That's not God's law because God's law is not about your rights. It's about your responsibilities. I'm going to show you why this is so important because the dichotomy is real. And if you're going to be a good citizen of America, you have to understand that you've got to go beyond American law to be a good citizen of American society. You've got to go God's law. What we have right now is far too many people who want rights. Rights, 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 rights. Don't step on my rights. Don't tread on me, right? I, I deserve life. I deserve liberty. I deserve happiness. Well, it doesn't even say happiness in the constitution. It says the pursuit of happiness. But that's American law because it is focused on the individual. And I'm going to show you in just a moment how that happened and how that American law diverge from God's law. God's law is responsibilities. You're going to do these things 
to carry my name for it. That's in the third of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word take the name is literally carry my name. Don't carry my name in vain. Represent me well, right? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, we are asking God to be hallowed through our lives. And then the very next line, after hallowed be thy name is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And think about earth. Where does mankind come from? He comes from the dust of the earth. When we are praying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, we are actually praying, God, hallowed be your name by letting heaven come into this, into my body, so that I might represent heaven to earth and my body will reflect your name, your character. Powerful stuff but imperative for us to understand what it really means to be good citizens in our country. So we've got to get away from this idea as Christians that it's about my rights. No, secular people are obsessed with their rights, with what they should have, with what they deserve. God's people are obsessed with what must I do for the sake of the name of my God and my own welfare and my belonging to a community larger than myself. So the divergence happens through something called the European Enlightenment. Because yes, American law was founded on the moral precepts of the Bible. But around the 1800s, 1700s in France and, and uh, uh, Western Europe, the Enlightenment was happening. Philosophers were rising up and they were talking about the uh, elevation of the individual. The individual rights, individual's rights are most important. The individual is everything and it's all about individual happiness and the pursuits of individual happiness. And, and that trickles right into our constitution and right into our laws and right into our arguments of the day, right? What is the argument about homosexual marriage? What is the, what is the argument? Well, don't deprive me of my happiness. Or what is the argument about abortion? Um, I have the right to do with what I want with my body. What is the argument around divorce? Well, they just aren't making me happy. All of those things are the fruit of a, of a root that took God's law and reoriented it away from the community and onto the individual. I cannot stress how important this is. And I hope that you're already starting to get fired up for why this is important because we need to do some deconstruction. I know that deconstruction is a big catchphrase in this, in the, in the world, right in this, in the church world right now with the young people deconstructing from Christianity. I want to encourage you to hashtag deconstruct from Americanized Christianity. Please do that. You have my permission to deconstruct from Americanized Christianity. Now, all this to be said leads me to this last point. I want to put it up on the screen here. So American law focused on my rights and the laws are written, look at this, to protect the individual from the community. The community is the danger and the individual is kind of the, you know, the, the faultless one, the the holy one, the pure one. <laughs> and, and now our parenting uh, standards have fallen into this idea. You know, we have parents who abdicate the role of discipline because they want to understand their child and they want to let their child, and John Chris does the great bit about this in his latest um, comedy routine. My wife and I were watching it the other day where, you know, you get on the floor with your child and you say, speak your truth. What are your feelings? Tell me, <laughs> you know, gone are the days where we just told our children, you know, be quiet right now. You're causing a commotion. You're being disrespectful to everybody around you. And that was about understanding their truth and their feelings. It's ridiculous. Anyway, back to this idea, look at the other side um, of how we approach God's law. It is protection of the community from the individual. Now, that is not to say that the community is the innocent one. No, 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 no. Many times in the Old Testament, uh, God did chastise the entire community. Absolutely. But, and this is a big but, um, the community is made up of individuals. <laughs> so individuals cause communities to get bad. It is, it is not uh, communities in God's opinion, that cause individuals to get bad when, when God's law is administered. Yes, bad company corrupts good character. I know some of your heads are going there right now. But when it comes to the laws of God and their underpinnings, when you read them, you're going to see, oh, wait a second, God is protecting his community from me. 
my heart's the problem. You, let's just do a little log us screen uh, dive, deep dive here into this. G- Genesis chapter six, verse five. Look at this verse and, and, and tell me that the individual is uh, justified in his own heart. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You can't get more adverbs and adjectives packed into that sentence to describe the evil of the human heart. By the way, there's other verses that speak to this uh, throughout the Bible, most notably Jesus in chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to each eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is why Jesus was able to hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and not be defiled because he, he knew that the community didn't defile, the heart of man defiled the community. You get it? So when we approach God's law, we are looking for, we are looking for protection of the community from the individual. Now, let me show you a couple of examples why that matters and how some of the things in the Bible refer to this or speak to this. You you don't get divorced in God's community because it will hurt the community. It will hurt children. It will hurt the women who in the ancient world didn't have rights, didn't have the ability to stand up for themselves couldn't work, okay? And remember when we talk about the law, God is speaking into that generation. He is not speaking into 21st century American lives, okay? So you don't get divorced because your happiness is not the goal. And I know this is hard for Americans to understand because we are westernized. We are in European enlightened individuals where the individual is God. King is the most important and your personal happiness comes first. That's not how God wrote the Torah. Those are not the people for whom God wrote the Torah. God wrote the Torah, the law, for the sake of the community to be protected from people hurting the community. I don't get divorced because it will hurt my kids. Anybody who's on the verge of divorce or suicide for that matter. Let's take an, an even, let's bring this, the tension up a notch. Suicide. Oh, they must have really, were unable to cope with life. Well, n- maybe, but they were also entirely selfish and they were not interested in protecting the community. I mean, really, that's really what's happening when people take their own lives because they are being, you are being relied on. No matter how you feel, people are relying on you. No matter how hard it is, people are depending on you. And if you're going to have an attitude where I'm just going to take my life because I can't take it anymore, you are basically telling people, I don't care about you. I don't give a rip about your life. My happiness, my feelings are the only thing that matters. And so here I go. I'm going to do what's good for me. Uh, You don't murder, right? Because you are protecting, God's protecting the indi- the community from the individual and in the heart of man are murders. Right there in Matthew chapter 5, 19, right there. By the way, I'm really just loving this bounce around effect, being a little bit more relaxed tonight uh, on the deep dive. Let me know in the comments if it's working for you. I, I feed only on positive affirmation. <laughs> so anyway, back to the thought. I don't murder because murder hurts people. Now, here's another one, number 10 on the list of God's top 10. I don't covet because why? Because that person in my community needs me to love them, not be jealous of them. That person in my community needs me to be happy for them, okay? Not measure my life against them. My friends, if we could get the the people of America to embrace this ideology, neighborhoods would change. Instagram reels would be transformed. You've got to see that God's law is beautiful because the intention of God's law is for the benefit of God's community. You are not an island. You are not, you know, on your own in the middle of, the the sea, traveling alone with God. No, 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 no. You're part of a community that needs you. So all the laws of God are in place to do that. And I cannot stress enough that that is going to underpin the entire study. I guarantee you, 
that most of the time why people are going to be struggling with the Torah and his commandments is because they are on that left side there of the American law and the American mindset, my rights, individual's king, idea concerning the, the text. And we're going to deconstruct the American in you through the study, and we're going to t- look at it uh, through the lens of the right-hand side. How is God protecting the community from the evil heart of the individual? It's a paradigm shift, and it doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to be like, okay, great, you know, this is, this is done for me. No, no, it's going to take a long time, right? So let me put this on the screen. I've already kind of discussed it, but I'll put it up on the screen anyway. In American law, the protection of the individual from the community, I will do what makes my life be my best life according to my own ideas. If the community threatens my instinct, community must be adjusted. So my feelings are all that matter. And some of you, you might... You might need to be pinched here because you're raising your kids like that. <laughs> your kids' feelings are all that matters. No, 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 that's not true. Your family and um, your uh, peace and your, your neighborhood's peace, that matters. That matters. And if your child's feelings are upending the harmony of your neighborhood and your Christian community, your child needs to be disciplined. Um, the consequences of my own ideas are the responsibility of someone else. That's totally American right now, isn't that? That's, oh man, that's American 101. If, if I have caused pain to my life because of my, my ideas and my concepts, well, somebody needs to pay for it. So now we need, we need universal health care paid for by the government because why? Because I smoked too much marijuana when I was 17. Actually from 17 to 37, I smoked too much marijuana. Now I have all this anxiety and there's t- scores of studies that link anxiety to marijuana or depression to marijuana, or alcohol. I, I wrecked my family through alcohol use. And now, so now the community needs to step up and pay. Now, again, I'm not against welfare and I'm not against community safety nets. I think those are important. And I think those values are also under, uh, uh, underscored by this, undergirded by the Torah. But to the extent that we focus on the individual, these, these problems, these, these symptoms of the, uh, the, the corruption of our culture are only going to exacerbate. And that's the seriousness of this teaching. Let's switch over again, back to God's law, the protection of the community from the individual. So again, you don't divorce because it will hurt people. You don't murder because there are family members attached to that person. And in the law, we'll talk about the avenger of blood for unintentional killings, which we will get to. And then you don't covet because that person needs your community, not your jealousy. Man, that'll preach right there. So this is why we're studying Torah. One more thing I want to say about why we're studying Torah. And again, this is an introduction. We're, we're, we're just laying the foundation of this talk. So please understand, we haven't even really discussed the Bible yet. And I understand that, but I'm just giving you underlayment for the teaching. Let me get to this content. In God's law, God reveals his character to his people so that his people are a blessing to all people. Un, un, ultimate goal of God's law. And you're going to see this so beautifully in just a moment. The ultimate goal of God's law is that God's character is revealed to his people and then his people, listen, participate in his character and that participation turns into a blessing for people beyond God's people. Can't tell you how cool this is going to be in just a moment. Why does God give the law to ancient Israel? As crazy as it sounds to us 21st century Americans, let me show you. Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter four, verse five. Look at this verse, a very beautiful verse. He says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do, do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding. Look at this. In the sight of all the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people for what Great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Are you seeing that? Because it is so cool. God is making absolutely clear. You do this stuff and the ancient peoples around you are going to say, wow, those people, what is it about them? And why is their God so near them? Because one of the stipulations of the law is if you, if you keep this law, I will dwell among you. 
because God cannot dwell among sin. So he is saying, you keep the law, I will dwell among you, I will sit and live with you, we will do life together, and the people will see it, and you will be blessed, and you will be expanded in your life, and they will say, what's going on in your nation? Understand, modern 21st century Christian, the evangelical view of the law from God's point of view. The evangelical. In other words, this law being practiced should be good news for the people around you. I said this to my church on Sunday. The good news cannot just be good news for us. It must be good news for everybody around us. Because when you don't murder, when you pay your taxes, when you don't cheat, lie, and steal, when you don't commit adultery and wreck two families, when you don't um, bear false witness, your community is better off. Who, who do you want to trust with fixing your kitchen? The, 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 the questionable character plumber or the plumber who has that good five-star reputation on um, Angie, Angie's list or, or whatever, and, and you know they get the job done for a fair price at, at a, in, a, in a reasonable time. People who obey these laws are better for their community, and the good news cannot just be good news for us. It must be good news for everybody around us. So ultimately, that is the heart of God for his law, he wants to be among his people. That is where his heart is. What does Jesus say when he ascends to the right hand side of God the Father? Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God's desire from Genesis chapter one and two, where he creates paradise with Adam and Eve, to the tabernacle in Exodus, in the Torah, to the temple, in David's and Solomon's day, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, to the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, and then ultimately to the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells forever and God and people dwell together in perfect harmony and there is no sin and there is no darkness and there is no shame anymore. That is God's heart from beginning to end. He wants to be among you. And so that's why you need this, you need this study. You need this study because God wants to be with you. And the more you study Torah, the more you're going to see that. I want to put a picture up here from my Lagos Bible software. This is the Israelite encampment. And you can see there, there are uh, three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. So to the north, there's Naphtali, Dan, and Asher. To the east, there is Issachar, Judah, and Zebulun. To the south, there is Gad, uh, Reuben, and Simeon. And then to the West, there is uh, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And these, these are the, this was how Israel was supposed to encamp. This is how they were supposed to live in the wilderness with God. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's equality. It's everybody has a chance to be close to God. Everybody has a chance to be near the, um, the Lord. And everybody is surrounding him. God is in the center. This is God's heart for his people. I want to be among you. I want to do life with you. And so the law and the tabernacle, which is the aim of Exodus to build the tabernacle where God can dwell, not he has given them their law, where he can dwell among them. Uh, let's move on. In the Torah, there's a theme that I want to point out. And again, we've talked about this, but again, focusing on the character of God. He he declares who he is through the law. Now, let me show you where the Bible says that's true. There are two ways that God reveals himself. There are two laws of God. There is natural law, the cosmos, the universe, and then there is um, the scriptures, the law, law, the, 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 the writings. That is the only two ways that God is determined to reveal himself. Obviously, Jesus is the fulfillment of both. The fulfillment of the scriptures is Jesus. He is the maker of the universe, uh, but the universe declares his glory. And so let me show you in the Bible where we get this idea is Psalm 19. Look at the very first verse of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where voice is not heard. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the expanding, ever-expanding universe that we explore and take glory in and reverence in and look at it and we're just overwhelmed by it, that is testifying to who God is. Scientists who do not believe in God get overwhelmed when they think about the cosmos, but what they don't really understand is the reason why it's overwhelming is because it's declaring the glory of God, his kavud, the word glory here, his weightiness, his his 
excellency, if you will. So that's Psalm 19, verse 1. Skip down to Psalm 19, verse 7, and it talks about the law because this is now special revelation, the writings. And verse 7 says what? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the law is sure, um, making wise the simple. We can go on. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is the theme of Torah. And again, this is special revelation. So general revelation, everybody gets. The heavens, the cosmos, the universe. There is no place where that voice is not heard. Anybody living on planet Earth is going to see the heavens and the stars, and they're going to say, wait a second, this didn't just happen. This is not just an accident. There's someone, something behind this. Okay, and by the way, intelligent design is making a comeback in the scientific community big time because the tremendous overwhelming evidence for design and intentionality behind everything that we know is there, is undeniable. Special revelation is the law, the writings. And special revelation opens our eyes, purifies our life, uh, and guides our hearts, and then it warns us, back to this text, it warns us. Look at the next verse. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So the focus here in the psalmist is, now that I have your revelation of who you are, I'm the one that needs to change and I need you to help me change. I need you to keep me from secret sins, from presumptuous sins. I need you to keep me from dominion of sin over my life. And then a prayer, a petition for oneself. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because the law is going to show me who God is and lead me back to God and help me to live with God in harmony with his people. And it's going to change my inward being as I know Christ more and become more like him. And guess who gets blessed? I get blessed. Uh, and then my community gets blessed. Because a law-abiding, and I'm talking about God's law, a law-abiding member of a community is a better community. Just ask yourself, do you love covetous people around you? Or do you love people who are other-centered? I mean, it's not, this is not rocket science. It's just a lot of the things that we wrestle with in America, such as anxiety and greed and depression, some that stuff is the fruit of a root rooted in uh, European Enlightenment, American lawism, and is detached from God's perspective concerning his guidance for your life. Now, let me back up in my notes because I had something that I wanted to talk to you about specifically, and I referenced it early on and I didn't get to it, but I'm going to get to it now. And that is about why you need the study in a different, in a different perspective. Let me see if I can find my notes here. And again, this is, this is part of the relaxed kind of atmosphere. I can circle around and get my thoughts order in order over here on my, on my keynote. Anyway, why you need the study I didn't talk about this earlier, but I want to go back to it. Remember when I said unbelievers will use the confusion of the Bible to accuse us and to say, well, I just can't believe in a God who would say such things. Okay, I'm going to address that. And that is what this talk is going to, that's what this series is going to do. And I hope to do my very best there. I hope that by the end of our series, and this is going to last for 11 months, like it always does. I hope that by the end of it, at least you will have the tools necessary to do the work yourself to, to explain why those laws are there, but also you'll be able to reference the material that we've covered because we're not going to shy away from the crazy laws. We are going to talk about them and we're not going to shy away from a single crazy law. Like we're not going to shy away from Leviticus 19.28. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves, I am the Lord. Uh-oh, somebody, somebody's getting convicted. No, <laughs> we will deal with the contextual nature of that law and what was the intention and why that law was meant to protect the community from the individual. 
Um, here's another couple of examples. Now, these two examples are tied together because this is one that is used all the time to promote alternative sexual preferences in our westernized, individualized context. So there is Leviticus 19.19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So I'm wearing a shirt right here. I don't know if this shirt is all cotton. It feels cotton. It breathes well. I don't know if it's part cotton, part polyester. I have no, I have no idea. I never checked the tags. <laughs> but according to the Torah, I should, right? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about why that's there. Because... That's the law that people use to eliminate the next one there on the screen, which comes right before it. So we were in Leviticus 19.19, where it talks about don't wear a garment of cloth made from two different kinds of material. But then just a few verses earlier in Leviticus 18, 23, 22 and 23, God says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman is an abomination and you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. And so people will always do this. They will always say, well, you ignore Leviticus 19.19 because you're wearing a, a cotton blend there, uh, but then you're you're against homosexuality and how dare you? And okay, we're gonna take that on. I am so excited to bring this stuff to you because we're gonna take that on and you're going to see how do I answer people like that um, on that issue from now on? Where do I go? And we will have the answers for you this year. We won't be doing it next week. And uh, we're gonna take this in, uh, like I said, concept by concept, um, but you're gonna understand better how to read these ancient uh, laws of God. So again, back to the Israelite encampment. It's about God dwelling about among his people. And I bring that picture back out because the aim of Exodus, the aim of the law, which if you know anything about the Bible, uh, let's talk about that. Genesis is showing us how derelict human beings are. And Exodus shows us God's law to bring God's people back to himself. And then Exodus ends like this. Look at the last verse in Exodus. Exodus 34, five to seven. Well, this is not the last verse, but the last chapter. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful, a merciful and compassionate, uh, I'm sorry, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is God speaking in Exodus chapter 34, when? Right after the tabernacle is erected, or at least the plans of the tabernacle are given uh, to the people of Israel. It's not, it's not um, after the tabernacle, it's after the law is given concerning the tabernacle. So the Lord descends, the Lord meets with his people after the law is given, which brings us to my concluding thought for today. And like I said, we are not going to get very far in very many scriptures today, but we've discussed scriptures. God's law is intended to create a community where God and people dwell together in safety. And we need that. We need that more than ever before. Let's get to Sinai. <laughs> Our cities are a mess. Our communities are broken. People are afraid for their future. Some people are not even having children anymore because they're scared to death of where the world is going. I cannot tell you how uh, that is not what God wants for you. He did not want that for his people. His heart is broken over that. And by no means are we to reflect the anxiety and stress and fear of the unbeliever in our generation just because these problems abound in our societies. God's law, if lived out, can protect you and then show the people around you like it was supposed to show the nations around ancient Israel that doing life with this God, Yahweh, was better and brings life and healing and light and joy and blessing. And then if you do it, people aren't even gonna, you're not even gonna have to evangelize. People are gonna ask you, what, where, why? What is it about you, you have this peace? What is it about you, you have this joy? Why are you so unencumbered by the culture's crises? Because I do life with God. I live in the safety of his community because I have gotten to know that the Torah, the law, is a tree of life to those who embrace it. Proverbs 3.18. 
Um, that is the talk, guys. That is the first episode of Torah, the law of life. Didn't even play the bumper. Let me play it now. The Deep Dive, Season 7 presents <laughs> I forgot to play it in the beginning and I was really anxious to play it for you and then I got caught up. So what are we going to do on this season? We're going to like the video, subscribe. We're going to hit all of those buttons that we need to hit. And I would also ask support the channel at cash app, Tim Hatch live or Tim slash support. By the way, I announced last night on the deep end that when you support us, we support project rescue. That is a uh, sex trafficking rescue organization. Uh, that we are going to give 10% of all of your giving to this channel to, and 10% of all that you give will be going to the American Bible Society to get the Bible out into the hands of many people. So you support the channel, we support those organizations, and I do not do that. We did not start that because, oh, I'm hoping to you know manipulate more giving out of you. No, I believe it is a principle of life that every organization, every person needs to be a river, not a reservoir. You don't just collect God's good things you are a river through which God's good things flow through you. And so that's 20% of all the things that you, all the money that comes in is going out to those two organizations. And again, one more time, like the video, so share it, subscribe, and come back Tuesday night for the deep end. We will be back with the deep end. Uh, never too early to get your 10 questions with Tim in. I look forward to those uh, Thursday afternoons as well. And I know that you do too. Uh, God bless you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring you this content. One more program note, and this is a little sad. We will only get through two episodes of this content before we have to basically take three weeks off. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to Israel. I'm bringing a group of people from my church to Israel. We're going to be gone for uh, 10 to 12 days, somewhere around there. But the good news is, and I can't wait to do this for you, it's kind of a perfect timing for me to go because I'm going to send video over. Brandon on the Tim Hatch Live team is going to piece it together and produce this content and post it to the YouTube channel regularly. So there is stuff to see even as we take a break from the part-by-part uh, -part content of the Torah study. So what you want to do to make sure that you get that is definitely like the video, share, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And every time we post content from Israel, and I hope to sneak Mrs. Deep Dive in, my wife, <laughs> I'm going to hopefully sneak her into a couple of the videos and we will send some content together. I really hope that I can send you content uh, from the outside, at least. I know I can't send it from the inside, from the... Um, it's called the Hall of the Book. I think it's called the Hall of the Book or the House of the Book, which is where the Jews uh, have the collections of the manuscripts of Torah, the oldest, some of the oldest manuscripts in-house. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be able to film in-house. I know that. But from outside of it, I can actually, I'll show it to you and, and you will see how seriously the Jews take these writings, like we Christians should take them. We should take them more seriously because they don't just teach us how to live. They teach us about the one who came to give us true and everlasting life. Guys, God bless. Have a great night. And I will see you on Tuesday for the deep end. Mm -hmm.